The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. to the Brandon Peters Show. Today, we have a very stellar episode for you, celebrating the film Cabaret, turning 50 this year. Joining me for that, I also I have a stellar guest and one of our favorites around here, author Greg McCoon. Hello. I'm excited to be back, and I love this movie. All right, musical. Greg. Yeah. I'm excited to have you back. You're, I, you're who I wanted to have this conversation <laughs> with, so I was happy that you also enjoy Cabaret. So anything new going on with you? At all? Uh, <laughs> new um, that I want to discuss. New and um, exciting adventures. Be... New ex- and um, exciting adventures. Alas, no. I think last we spoke was was last holiday. Um, mm-hmm. Literally and yep. figuratively. Oh, well, we had Clue. And, uh, we, oh, well, yeah, oh, that's right. Clue speaking off the cuff. Yeah. yeah. Clue was um, right to the game. So. True. No, I mean, like, oh, well, the 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 fairy tale is out in the world i think it was not out when last holiday came out our episode or it was just about it was just released it was like uh, yeah, a week just... or two because my daughter got my daughter a copy oh that's right so yeah so, that um otherwise just just this year has been a weird time loop of i mean we're almost in april and i don't have any concept of reality anymore so that's where my head is right now um Trying to figure it out. I have a few more things potentially in the works with Hallmark. So oh. we'll see. Yeah. Um, so ideas flow in there, but haven't been in the most romantic of moods recently. <laughs> so um, yeah, a lot of life changes happening this um, year. So I'm just kind of in my existential crisis phase. Um, I, I postponed that through most of COVID. So now that COVID is kind of winding down and things are opening now is when I just want to hide from the world. You so, know how to do it now. You know how to do it. It's You've true. I am prepared. So. Um, but then I feel guilty about it now when like people are like, oh, like we can go do things. I'm like, do we have to? Um, so it, it, it's a catch 22, I guess. But um, but yeah, you know, just getting through time. <laughs> Gotcha. Watching shows and movies or trying to and figuring out what's next in my life. Um, yeah. Awesome. Great. I have, I have a request from a listener that oh happens goodness. to also be my sister. Oh, okay. But I, well, a Christmas uh, because she is a gigantic fan of every time you're on the show. I think that may be <laughs> the only time you listen. Could you just say hello to Laura while we're oh, on the hello, episode? Uh, yeah. So she, of course. Be so- because she's like, have you told him how much he, how awesome he is? I'm like, well, maybe. I don't know. That I forget. Because we record, we do business and stuff here. And it's true. Oh, um, well, hello, Laura. I'm so excited that you're listening to this, and um, I, I hope you enjoy this episode too. And I'm, you're probably going to see a different side of me here, and I'm going to get very <laughs> emotional and personal. So get ready to like learn new layers of Greg. It's almost like a year since we did. Uh, don't tell mom. The babysitter's dead. I think. It's it's close. 
It's I feel almost, like, oh yeah. Because was it March really? of last year? Was it, that was my first one. Yeah. Then uh, I've done like five with you, I think. Well, oh. including Clue, I guess. Oh, um, yeah. So don't tell mom how to lose a guy. Um, we did the... Uh, Mario Bava, we did that one. Last holiday. Last holiday, so that's four. Five, this will be six. Yeah. Six, yeah. Okay. Six in a year. Heck yeah. I don't know if anybody really? else has that many. I really thought we started in 2020 for some reason. No, this show was this show started in the fall of 2020. So, and yeah. Wow. Yeah, I believe it was I believe it was March. <laughs> Spin Doctors. Yep. Oh my god, two princes. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Okay, well, let's see, I have no concept of time anymore. Who knew? But I yeah, just really well, So like in the past it's been uh my my uh whatever i go on to post these episodes for facebook it's now like hey you have memories and they're all just episodes posts because that's who i am on facebook i post episodes of my podcast and i get out um so yeah. uh yeah so it's been like i think i saw one like a week or two ago i was like hey you did this it's really cool you haven't done a cool video in a long time brandon but you did one when greg was on remember that remember when your <laughs> your drive was a little bit better yeah no <laughs> <laughs> oh good but yeah so uh let's uh move on and let's get into cabaret this was germany in the early 30s hello stranger full of life and love This was Sally Bowles in the early 30s. Oh, I dash all day and I work late at the cabaret. Full of life. I love parties. Doesn't my body drive you wild with desire? And love. Oh, A special girl. I'm going to be a great film star. <laughs> that is a booze and sex. Don't get me first. On the brink of something fantastic. I mean, it would be funny, wouldn't it, if he asked me to become the next Baroness von Hoyne in Regensburg? And frightening. I'm Sally Bowles. I'm Brian Roberts. And I have this strange, mystical, daddish feeling about you. So you're moving right in, okay? Okay? Have you ever slept with a dwarf? Once, but it wasn't a lasting relationship. Do you sleep with girls or don't you? Sally, you don't ask questions like that. I do. The poor man. He tries to love me. I may have my tiny faults. God damn it, I'm gonna have a baby! Sally is rather knowledgeable in these areas. Does it really matter as long as you're having fun? What good is sitting all alone in your room? Come, hear the music play. Come to the cabaret. Start by admitting from cradle to tomb. It isn't that long a stay. Life is a cabaret, old chum. 
Directed by the Bob Fosse, written by John Van Druten, based on the musical play Cabaret Book by John Masteroff, based on Goodbye to Berlin and the story Sally Bowles by Christopher Isherwood, and starring Liza Minnelli, Michael York, Helmut Grimm, Joel Gray, Fritz Weber, and Marissa Berenson. It's about a female girly club entertainer in Weimar Republic-era Berlin who romances two men while the Nazi party rises to power around them. All right, Greg, before we dig into this movie, which is a lot, a uh, lot. in very good ways, technically speaking, story speaking, performance speaking, this is one of the most important and uh, game-changing movies of all time out there um and it's crazy absolutely insane that in one year we got this and the godfather like yeah insane we'll talk about those two movies relations to what goes with one another uh but great mm-hmm. when did you first see cabaret when did it um i first saw this movie when i was in high school um because i was a theater kid in high school so then the musical was always like brought up and um maybe this time is one of the most like iconic musical numbers ever. And one of my all time favorites as a high school student and an incredibly emotional song um, for me to listen to. So I think the first time I heard that would have been first time of like prominent memory of it would have been sophomore year of high school. So I can date myself, which would have been about 2002, 2003 um, when I would have first had seen this movie you know what um what we saw it i'm i want to put money on it our first time was the same year then really because i would have been i was it was i'm pretty sure it was my sophomore year of college which would have been my first year at ball state and i was in my film genres class and we did this one when we did musicals we did because he would show we'd have class and we'd have screening days and he spent a little bit of time on the musical because he wanted to get to cabaret to show what you could do with them what people think of musicals and what you could do with musicals and that's when i first saw and that would have been oh one oh two so yeah okay insane so yeah i know but go ahead Um, sorry (laughs) no no so that um so that's basically when it um, when I would have seen the movie because I was interested in the musical and the mu- musical and the movie are quite different in tone and feel even though there's parallels the music in the movie um, are more like satirical interludes while mm-hmm. in the musical on stage singing just happens within scenes it's more traditional yeah. In, yeah more traditional in the thing um, but the, from what I remember. The Broadway musical, which I did see with Emma Stone as Sally Bowles. Oh, wow. Um, I, yeah, she was the replacement after Michelle Williams left um, back in 2015 or 16. Anyway, um, I just remember the, or the musical on Broadway being substantially darker 
than the movie, which is fascinating to me. Just the movie's dark. (laughs) The movie is dark, but the musical somehow just the lighting and the ending moment of the musical, there's something more haunting about it. While there, it's just more haunting while the movie, the ending kind of gives you this very, this uncomfortable, like this eerie feeling and vibe of just kind of what, is and i think the musical kind of drives that point home and i'm like avoiding on yeah, the nose like, it knows yeah uh, i don't want to yeah it, it's a little bit more I'll, I'll just say the musical is a little bit more aggressive and the movie is more nuanced but i think for okay. stage you need to be a little bit bolder right. and more aggressive so the movie and that's what i appreciate about this movie so much and there's so much to talk about um but i'll probably do the deep dive into how I relate to Sally Bowles okay. <laughs> and why in this Ted talk, I will tell you how I relate right. to Sally Bowles. Well, no, but yeah, you can, I, I believe the, the musical has gone through the stage production has gone through that kind of evolution that Greece would have too, where there's songs that got made for the movie that were so good. They incorporated them back into the stage production that weren't there Correct. before, but what now, if you go see it, they're there. Does that, that is correct. I'm okay. trying to remember. It's money, mo- the money, money, uh, right? Is that one of money, them money from my research? Yes. That was yeah, money, money. I don't remember offhand the big switches just because I'm familiar with the later iterations of the musical and not the original one. Um, or yeah, 1966 is when the right 1966 is when the musical came out. Uh, yeah, think. yeah, it was yeah, it wasn't too yeah. long. Yeah, yeah, and so, and I believe the idea for the movie when adapting because this went through a lot of production turnovers and all sorts of stuff like Liza Minnelli was hired on before the director was decided and uh, I believe the idea when Fosse came on was to incorporate more of the book that this was based on backed into the story and ditch some of the traditional musical um aspects of it that is correct um which is interesting because Fosse's a stage guy and mm-hmm. for him to be trimming all that stuff would is against which is I love left field choices. Um, that you know this is what was probably expected of him, and he has an idea, and it it works swimmingly for him and everybody. But not to say like it wasn't going to work in the musical. But he was thinking of stuff for film, which at the time we got a we got a notice. Musicals weren't hot stuff anymore. They were no. old news. They were. They were bankrupting companies. They were uh, uh, like studios, stuff like that. I mean, you had Best Picture. You had like Oliver won Best Picture, um, but you had Hello Dolly, which we, we all are like, oh, Hello Dolly. That wasn't a big success yeah. back then. Like there's all these, the grand musical was out. Um, things were changing uh, coming come 1969. People were liking to like, you know, Bonnie and Clyde comes out. The French Connection comes out. These are changing cinema. Cabaret is the first one to go along with the time to fit the times of uh, mm-hmm. the musical. I don't know of any, I can't think of a musicals that were coming out around that time, but I don't imagine any of them look and feel like Cabaret. No. Um, which my first time, as I just mentioned, was that. Um, and it hit me in this odd, like I was probably 19 or 20, and I, I probably wasn't at a good maturity level to really enjoy it at the highest level that I could. Some things were just, it was, it was different to me. I didn't know what it, what it was feeling. 
it's but you know it never left my mind so i knew yeah. there's something special about that movie because it never left my mind i like the way it, it was filmed but it was like the 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 sexual looseness of all stuff like i wasn't those that kind of thing i wasn't like appreciating or enjoying a film at that time like um i don't know i was more like genre stuff or like straight dramas you know like that like having yeah. sexiness as a factor into a movie wasn't like my total cup of tea at the time or like i always you know i don't know maybe it was probably being brought up as like a catholic that was getting into me a little bit um that still wasn't shaken off at the time but it but the movie stuck with me and i always returned to it and i'm i'm glad it had that factor because now it's you know over time it's become one of my all-time favorite movies like um but yeah the first time i saw it it, it and i'll tell you about we'll get to it when it happens in the story but it has one of a a, a, a you know Vader tells Luke his, his father type scenes for me that just was like holy crap um, for me that stuck that well so I wonder, I wonder if it's the scene I'm thinking of it's now probably, you uh, probably, it's really easy to figure out it's just I'll explain why it, <clears throat> why it plays okay. that way uh, later on but okay. yeah so the, the movie makes a choice that uh, it, it gets told a lot of people are like this is the musical for people who hate musicals and I think no. that's bullshit I hate that it's called. It's that. not a musical though. Like, here's the thing: it's it, it's this movie is so much more than I think people even can recognize with mm-hmm. it. Because after rewatching it a few times with this and like sobbing most times because each time I connect to something more. Um, but it's more so about the personal relationships and going against going against your own self interest. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this movie that happens, and it's just gut-wrenching to watch but it has an episodic feel to it mm-hmm. so yeah. like the music feels place or forced because it's within an entertainment venue which is like the Kit Kat club mm-hmm. so you're experiencing performance numbers just like in the audience so you're kind of there's a voyeurism aspect to this movie in a weird sort of way both paralleled between like the audience members and the MC kind of navigating you through some of this movie but then you have these kind of moments within actually bad i've seen it so many times how what is the time span this movie takes place in again it's like nine months 1931 is when it starts and i believe i don't know how many months it's it's probably over the course of almost a year i was thinking but it doesn't really acknowledge it doesn't really tell us where it ends too much that's the I want to say probably like we don't really overly experience like when Germany at the time then so I don't know I don't think it spans a full year but you you see these kind of moments of these characters lives throughout it and a lot happens in a short period of time mm-hmm. which is shocking yeah. because you see both like societal changes but then the personal lives of just kind of the introduction of Max is like kind of one episode of it, but there's so much story beyond the Max like segment of yeah. the movie. Um, and just how like the introduction of it, of how Sally meets Brian and then, and then how their friendship forms. And then you can, and okay. I don't even know where to like, how to organize my thoughts on this, but um, okay. I know, 
know there was a, like a lot of criticism over the portrayal of Brian's character and sexuality being kind of the butt of a joke in the movie. And I don't feel no. that. No. I look it up and you'll see that. I, I don't know if it was mostly just Isherwood who criticized that because I know he was very critical of the movie, the author of the book. Um, yeah, he had a lot to say about the movie. Um, and there was a lot of initial criticisms about Liza Minnelli being Sally Bowles only because she was too talented to play Sally because the actual Sally Bowles is meant to be an untalented singer um, yeah. who doesn't really have appeal. And that is not what you get with Sal, like with Liza Minnelli. And no. that is one of the genius things about her. And I'll get into that in a later, but um, I think just attacking characters kind of therapeutic process in the movie, if that makes sense of just kind of Brian acknowledging his sexuality and embracing it in a certain way. And like just the heartbreaking story of Sally and how she goes, Oh, and fun fact about this, which I thought while watching it, and then it was confirmed that, um, uh, Holly go lightly, um, is loosely inspired by the character of Sally Bowles. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. From Beckers and Tiffany's that the, the Capote short story, um, her character and nature was based off of this version of him, like pointing up, like it's behind me. This version of um, this version of Cabaret's Sally Fields, um, or not Sally Fields, um, Sally Bowles, Liza Minnelli, um, Holly Golightly. Anyway, I'm going off on tangent. So, um, well, you're talking about the club scenes. Um, how they? So, yeah. So they they they're these nice little like interludes that show a passage of time, but also redefine the story because yeah. all the not outside of the club, everything is so beautifully nuanced mm-hmm. that not very much is spoken but so much is said yes and the picnic scene towards the end of the movie with sally and brian is one of the most painful scenes to watch play out because i've been there where they're talking and the scene i'm referring to is where um i'm jumping ahead too far i'll go back to like all right we just go back to the beginning probably All right, we'll like, go back. We'll just, we'll f- let's focus on the, these musical numbers because okay, okay. there's I, I got you know we have points like they're all the all but one is in a club mm-hmm. and it's a brilliant choice to do that um if they're in a club but the one that's happens out in the world outside of the club could have happened it's not like it's like instruments start playing and yep. someone you know it's it's a different kind of moment um but in the club and I think the there's the way it's shot is genius because it feels like you're in the audience. Like yeah, every every close up, you're like looking up at the stage. Is it you're always looking up at Sally? You're always and if it's from the back of the stage, you're at the back of the house. Um, there is some on stage interactivity, but I think it benefits most Joel Gray here because he's allowed to do because he got brought from the stage production yep. through straight to this movie. He wins an Oscar, but I think that's Fosse give like. You just do your stage show thing, and it's going to look fine. Normally, when you take a theater performance and throw it straight into a film, it's a bit too much. Here, he finds a way to take that bit too much, do it as is, and make it look natural as hell on the screen. Um, All all he has to do, uh, Joel Gray, is do a couple weird close-ups for some things. But other than that, he's got it down. Like Just do your thing, and um, yeah, we're fine. 
it's all, it's on the stage. So everything playing to the the balcony will look fine because it's on a stage. We're watching it on a stage yep. and it's set up and they it it does it it serves a purpose of also you know, the interlude type things where it's a satirical look at what just happened or taking one point A to point B. It's it's really commenting on what we've seen or what we're about to see. But um, it's also showing that Sally's constantly going to work. We're constantly going mm-hmm. there. We're kind of, it's now there's no nights off. You go there, you go there, you go there, you go there. It's it's doing the thing. And it also is showing like there's a slight um, difference later on towards the end of like, are they playing now to a different audience? Not just who's sitting there, but the way the performance is coming across. It's like, oh, are they trying to play to a new audience? Which we'll get to, I guess, towards the end. But I noticed that this time around, I'm like, hmm. I'm wondering if that was like, oh, well, this is our attendance now. We better do this. But it also shows that the performer performs that way no matter who's in the crowd. It's it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the performances stay solid, some of how Fosse presents it feels a little bit down in the dumps uh, towards the end, but the way the performers are, not so much difference. And Joel Gray kind of feels like an asshole, <laughs> the, the MC, yeah. because he don't care what's going He's like, ah, I got a job performing. Fuck it. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I see these uh, the, the musical numbers of this drama that happens to be... Uh, classified as a musical with music but i would consider it a musical there's there's movies without sorry there there are are movies like it's it's weird cat there's there's probably a musical and then subgenres of musical because i think like you could easily throw something like saturday night fever or like the step up movies in some sort of musical category they don't have song and dance well step up has dance numbers saturday night fever's yeah. dance numbers yeah. but they play like musicals you remember musical moments from those movies so there's they kind of they're hanging out in the same area sort of they are i mean it is a musical because there is a substantial number of musical moments mm-hmm. within it but they are all kind of their own unique either driving the story like two ladies which like kind of maps out the canoe scene Mm -hmm. um the boating scene where that's part of where the joke falls onto brian because then he's one of the ladies vying for max so it's Mm -hmm. the two ladies so he gets feminized throughout like the movie and i think that's where some of the like i'll use that term loosely um was about like kind of bisexuality and everything and automatically getting kind of feminized through it mm-hmm. um and and brian but i just personally i i feel there's a lot of believability to the way that character is um and like the bisexuality of it and whatever that actually means to him but what's fascinating about the musical numbers in the Kit Kat club is that the mc and um sally bowles both do play into androgyny within the time and that right there shows how they're actually united and more of a stronger relationship as the two of them than she has with anybody else in the actual movie because it's kind of like there's sally who is still guarded by like her ego and everything else and then you have like the mc who's basically just like an id on stage Mm -hmm. so he's kind of revealing everything 
about what people are thinking and the allure and the appeal and the decadence and the indulgence that these people are experiencing, but they're doing so as a way, as a coping mechanism from everything that's happening around them in the world. So the Kit Kat Club is kind of that, not just sexually, but it is kind of one outlet provided to escape. I mean, that's even in the lyrics, um, right. essentially, to escape everything that's happening. And that's where I would say his like androgyny and his freedom to be that clown um, protagonist character within the Kit Kat Club while like Sally Bowles, who's meant to be a femtale, has a very energy to her a lot of the time where there's this constant contradiction with her and her playing her femininity while also kind of being attributed with kind of more masculine qualities and blending those two things together. Um, where if you look at their outfits, sometimes the MC and her outfits uh, mirror or parallel each other slightly compared to if you look at the gritty nature of every other um, performer within the Kit Kat Club. Mm-hmm. And both of them kind of have this refined androgyny even within this kind of seedy, I don't know if you want to call it seedy, but essentially it was kind of seedy, like kind of back back alley way of looking at things within this culture. So, um, but that's what gets in, into this interesting and I was noticing it more third time I watched it this time and going back to what I mentioned about Brian and his like bisexuality and his being kind of slightly, this movie really plays into masculine female energies and kind of understanding that, but Brian kind of being feminized a little bit. And you'll notice where um, at first he doesn't accept the gifts from Max. Um, I know we haven't talked about Max yet, but he, he basically like try, he does that, but then he starts kind of taking on those more, say like i guess perceptions of masculine and feminine i guess at the time so like women would accept like the gifts from like men and you notice that he wore like brian wore the blue sweater Mm -hmm. that max preferred on him those would be more things that like women would be more conscientious of at the time not really attributed to men at that time um but if you'll notice how when he first talks to sally and he says he's tried to sleep with women but never has succeeded. And right. when um, Sally's being more feminine with him and using her like kind of femme fatale, like feminine guiles on him, it's not really working for him. But it's more of her manic take charge attitude and her vulnerability that actually prompts him to make the move onto her. And fascinating that when she kind of loses that feminine mask. And this kind of perception of woman is when Brian fully kind of embraces Sally in a more of kind of like this masculine way because she, and in the most like gut-wrenching scene of the movie, there's a lot in here for me, Uh try not to cry. Um, The scene where she's talking when her father stands her up and she, and she's talking to him and that, that delivery is, um, the way it's written is just so heartbreaking where it's like he tried but he doesn't care yeah but he doesn't care but just him saying or her saying like i've like not related to my father but just in general i've you like i've i've tried to rationalize behavior so often with people and um again one of the like point one why greg relates to sally um i've tried to um rationalize certain people's behavior based on well i can't fault them because they tried 
So like watching Sally explain this, even though it's like a different connection to me, and and then seeing someone like Brian kind of both find her sexually alluring within that moment, mm-hmm. but also because that's when he like has this thing. There is something kind of like beautiful knowing that like in the Kit Kat Club, in this world that we're creating within this movie, while all this chaos is happening, we haven't even talked about the political chaos, but all the <laughs> chaos is happening right now. You have and like money and sex are really the driving like Sally Bowles is introduced to you and the Kit Kat Club is introduced to you as the driving force of money and sex. And that's what matters. And that's what's fun. And that's what keeps everything going. Um, And that's what we all desire and crave. And then you see this moment where Sally is just vulnerable and you see her break down these barriers there. There's other moments. And and what attracts Brian to her. Mm -hmm. And there's something I just really appreciate about that. And that's why the end gets even more heartbreaking. Because then Brian, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm getting on tangents. But um, yeah, I just, I feel like with this movie, they managed to achieve this beautiful blend of realism and such kind of this absurdist package. I'm not saying the movie's absurd. I'm just saying kind of the presentation and stylization of this movie, they create such real vulnerable moments that are timeless um yeah no i'm just kind of spinning a little bit so yeah you talk for a well second. no it's funny brian it's all that that's the one thing when i upon my original watch i didn't pick up on any of his bisexual tendencies um at all like because i that's what i'm saying i was maybe too young to really in an experienced life to like pick up on any of it it's all there from the start yep. um and i like my moment that i told you my vader moment in this movie yeah is the uh the, the I'll never forget and probably what I said when they get in the fight about Maximilian before their Africa trip that didn't happen and she he's screw Maximilian she goes I do and you're like oh and then he goes so do he laughs like so do I and it's like what and that took me like I wasn't picking up on any I don't know how dumb I was while looking back now I'm like what am I thinking here but that was a huge moment I was like holy crap like it stunned me at the time that really took me by surprise but going back it's 100 percent there the whole time is quite obvious even to a novice viewer uh let alone this branded but it was it was a shocking moment and i even noticed like it's funny uh when natalia comes into the picture uh the student that he's going to teach the the woman from the wealthy jewish family in germany um and she shows up and it's funny because to him she just my new student, he had, she's this beautiful woman. It's the it's uh, Mercer Berenson from Barry Lyndon. Some other people might uh, recognize her from that. Um, and she comes in. His student, Fritz, is like, well, I'll stay. Um, and then the woman who runs the little house is like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe she's here. And, and then Sally, of course, is like, uh-uh, nope, I guess I'll stick around myself here. Uh, but he's just like, guys, I'm trying to teach. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> it's just like nope no interest uh even though she's a more i don't know traditionally like classier gorgeous woman that's not even attracting his attention um that's quite quite there with that um and with sally yeah she does like it uh, liza minnelli is it's such a i don't know how many roles pull this off where like i don't care what gender what sexual preference you are she pulls it off for you, yep. no matter who you are. Like it's it's astounding. Like 
no matter the outfit, like I don't know how she does it, but it it works. Like her, it's either either her looks, her costuming, her ma- her or her fucking radiant charisma that is off the fucking charts. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you don't, I mean, just there's a reason we talk about and know that my is it mine hair. That's the one. Um, mm-hmm. That number, her outfit, the bowler hat, every like, just yeah. I mean, the Oscar was hers, right from the moment they said oh. action. <laughs> like, that scene. And that's the thing is that I mean, she truly is a brilliant actress in this movie. Beyond the stage performance, beyond the Kit Kat numbers. Her eyes tell a story. Like I've rewatched certain moments now of this movie just to go back because I'm like, because of this year connecting to certain parts of it. Mm -hmm. So I rewatched the fight scene. I've rewatched the, um, the, the Brian and um, one of my favorite lines is in that moment too, is um, you're about when Brian yells at her, it's like, you're about as femme as a dinner mint or something like that. And I was like, Oh my God, it's so good. Um, it's just clever, but that's the thing is like, he see, uh, okay. So with Sally, this role kind of became like Liza brought a life to it beyond any of the original author's intent to this role. Yeah. Um, we do know that. So, um, and I think that was genius and that's why she deserved all the accolades and the praise because her eyes tell a story of a woman who could easily be written off as like a manic pixie dream girl yeah um essentially right yeah but she is so much more than that when you watch her eyes through every time she delivers so um for example the father's line where that one's a little bit more like hit you in the face like it's written powerfully enough that like okay we get it um Mm -hmm. you crave love but the eyes during maybe this time where body is saying like i'm on stage look at me and her eyes are at one point and i don't know how many takes they did but her eyes are just slightly glossed over with like the you just feel the tears potentially being held back as she's belting out this number um maybe this time i'll be lucky maybe this time i'll be and smiling despite back tears, it looks like she is look at those close-ups and i'm just sitting there and i'm mm-hmm. like every time i hear that song i cry and then i'll and then the, the park scene where she's talking about the baby mm-hmm. and the brian and her are sitting and she's resting her uh, resting her stomach <laughs> or resting her head on his stomach and she just looks up at him and there's a moment. <laughs> oh, sorry i told you this is gonna be hard for me okay um, there's a moment where she realizes that it's not going to happen for them. Oh, I hate movies. Sorry. <laughs> you can edit this out. Uh, oh, yes. uh, she looks up at him and um, no words are spoken um, because she said something about like a baby in a house and all that. And Brian kind of gives this, like it has an aloofness to it, but it's yeah. just this pleasant half smile to acknowledge but not actually kind of engage with this feel and see this glow in her eyes 
subtly shift. Yeah, no, to, it's amazing. To, yeah. It, and it's just really hard to watch. If you've ever been in those situations where you feel like there's going to be something more for you, and then you realize it's not. Like, she captures that so perfectly, that scene. So, ooh, it's well, going to going. It, anyway, it yeah. kind of goes back to the father thing, where she might be yeah. realizing, like, well, I think he believes he'll do this, but does he care about doing it? You know, it's right there. And the funny thing is, like, and the the sad part of it all is, like, because, cause, I mean, the movie, she, you know, uh, we talk about this as if you've seen it, but she winds up um, she winds up pregnant, not knowing the father, but Brian's like, you know what, I'll marry you, let's do this, I, I, I'm prepared to take this on, and it looks all good, but the funny thing is, like, she winds up, after this moment, having an abortion, because she realizes it's got to work, but, like, the way... Sally lives her bounce back, you know, auto whip. Let's off the cuff. Let's go to this. Let's do this. Like, was Brian just having maybe a day and she went and reacted like that to that? Like, you never know. Like, he could be that could she could be seeing forward and doing all that, but maybe Brian was just having just a day and she did all that. She made that decision based off just Brian having a bad day or just. Uh, not you know that shit you know but like it's I was thinking about that too I'm like the way she quickly moves on things like perhaps he was just like oh, just not not today or something happened he wasn't sharing uh but just the yeah that scene is huge um and then the aftermath of it it's crazy but oh, I don't know if it's the good thing that they're able to say a fond farewell. Um, after it, well, she or can't not, like, look back at him. Like yeah. she, but here's the thing, and this is what I like kind of rambled about earlier about like how this movie really highlights kind of going against your own interest and your own best interest. And there, there, you have Sally, who's determined to be this grand actress and this grand performer. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, ways she's empowered by being like, or she, she. Oh, reason why I relate to Sally part two. Um, <laughs> she she behaves in a certain way, and this is going to take me back to my 20s. Um, she like behaves in a way where she feels like, okay, she speaks vocally that like, she speaks out loud that she's going to be the next best actress and she's more mm-hmm. capable than X, Y, and Z. But behavior ways is that. Um, because she she acts on uh, you've mentioned it on impulse and the allure of wealth but also that she really and this is hard to say and i don't know i'm not sally but she is a fictional character so we can analyze it like this but if she really did respect herself like her potential as an actress would she be as free with her sexual endeavors with significant and prominent men um, and that is something that you have to like wonder is, is she doing this for herself or is she doing this because she sees this as her only opportunity to in the hands and in the presence of people who can move her forward. Yeah. And she's content with the cabaret. We never see her auditioning for anything else or ever try Like, it's just, 
I go to the cabaret at night. I'm a superstar there. And if I leave, I might not be anymore. So maybe, uh, you know, we never see her ambitions outside. It's always just the cabaret and who comes to see her there. And she can go date and um, people buy her things. And she's always bumming a cigarette. She never has her own. Like it's um, like, yeah. So she might be the without realizing. And she and by the end of the film, she's back. Back to the cabaret. That's what, she, yeah. that's what it is. And even though things around her have gotten noticeably awful, she just can't leave that cabaret because she's at least conquered there. Like she's at least somebody there leaving yeah. it might leave that door closed and nowhere else to be a superstar. But is she happy? And that's exactly. where I struggle. Exactly with this movie is because like okay so if we want to get like into a deep dive into like psyche of like sally bowles well um, like five years later she doesn't have her moment like uh tony moreno in saturday night fever where he's like fuck i can't keep doing this like i've already this is just gonna get boring i'm conquering this i i need to make a drastic change to my life right now if i want to be somebody i need to do that she doesn't have that moment here but here's the thing. I think she desperately, I, I don't know. My interpretation at this stage of my life right now is. I, We're also talking about a girl who's probably 20, 19. <laughs> I know. I'm like, okay, so it's so like. She, I think she does know what she wants. I just think that she doesn't believe in herself enough yet to achieve that mm-hmm. um also you see this woman who just really when it comes down to it and it, i mean it sounds simple but it's so not is this woman who wants to be loved and i think she she has the fantasy of performance where of like being on that stage where there's the illusion of love um because it's just you but but if you even notice the way the scenes of the Kit Kat Club are filmed, it's not this roaring applause after she performs. It's a scattered applause. Like you get some like eyes, like the male gaze on her, but you don't mm-hmm. really. And she's she she talks herself into that as being substantial because I don't think that she believes in herself enough to feel like she can be loved, and it's heartbreaking. Um, so I'm gonna try not but there's to try also again, but, we we never yeah. see any other girl that threatens to knock her off her pedestal at the cabaret too. So it's kind of a safe, another safe zone. There's no, it's but her. is that living? But no, exactly, exactly, yeah. But she, so, it's the safe zone that she's afraid to step out of. Is what I'm, yeah. Which, well, it is. It is. Yeah. It is kind of like her comfort zone, and that's where it is going against her own self interest. Because I think Brian. She was introduced a life and a fantasy beyond something that she really thought she could ever have. Um, because her, like, he, again, and I like already mentioned this, his interest into her wasn't so much like the sex appeal and the performing aspect and her carefree nature. It was the vulnerability. It was the, it was the, the, um, the non-performer side of Sally is what he 
saw in her and what like drew him. Meanwhile, you have Max on the other hand, who he's wealthy. He played both Brian and Sally. So like Sally felt like she was the one pulling the strings, but really Max is the one that was playing both. Like Max had all the power, but Sally believed she did in that dynamic. And with Sally and Brian, actually quite equally matched in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And that scares a lot of people when, when there is a power balance or, okay, so why I relate to Sally Bowles part three, certain relationships, and this goes back to my twenties, relationships when there is a power imbalance, you need to understand your place in your role. And when you start to deviate from that, that's when things kind of break apart. So in this instance with Sally and Max and kind of she thought that he could maybe lead her to this big fancy life and all this other stuff but she wasn't realizing that he was just kind of using her on his whims she thought Mm -hmm. she was actually like really developing kind of this relationship and oh this is what i'm gonna get and this is it and i know how to play my cards here and i'm gonna accept these gifts and i'm gonna be so flattered because he's gonna love that because wealthy people like do the gifts because they think that's part of the exchange and they're there it's very transactional all that relationship with China. but when relationships are balanced and not directly transactional it scares the crap out of people <laughs> in like real life yeah. like that scares people because they don't know because then you don't know what you're bringing to the table or why they like you. Like, oh, do you like me for me? And that freaks people out because it's not anymore. And and Sally, I think, was scared because she didn't have to act around Brian. She right. didn't have to put up the facade. She didn't have to do all that. And Brian was able to just free in a time when, like, homosexuality, bisexuality, all that wasn't really ex- obviously wasn't accepted especially in Weimar Germany oh, yeah you have yeah you have um like Brian who in the traditional sense is a very or er, is a very traditional kind of aesthetically handsome man there's no androgyny with Brian's character he is he is just a, a standard attractive white man um the way this was portrayed in this movie um so he Really, he doesn't really like he blends into society much more comfortably. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's easy for him to do because he's suppressing something. Where within, where yes, outside of that, he'll maybe hear people negatively towards homosexuality and all those other things, and it like will retain to him, but it's not directly maybe placed onto him. But then when he's with Sally, it can be kind of this self of well more not full self, but more realized version of himself yeah. that he can't really do elsewhere so but he yeah. also he's also the person that knocks her down a few pegs because she thinks she's hot hot stuff or likes to present and even for the beginning was like do i shock you darling he's like no and every moment she has like it doesn't wow him doesn't and she's humbled uh around him a lot of the time until they can find a level to find fun together Exactly. And that's where the balance comes in. And that's scary because it's like she kind of met her match and she doesn't know how to interpret that because she's not used to it because she's mm-hmm. used to just showing leg and, and, and appealing to these men. And, and that's the thing is that Brian doesn't judge her for these behaviors and actions either. He calls her out because he knows that this isn't real for her. And that's mm-hmm. what I think is brilliant about it is 
he doesn't judge her for performing or like seducing men and the allure and the appeal of men. He enjoys that aspect about it. But what he doesn't enjoy is that I think he recognizes that she doesn't really like it. Right. And what's so just mind blowing about this movie that like now rewatching it, I'm like realizing more and more is that he is this woman who is so fun to be around, but also just, he sees more potential in her than I think she sees in herself. Well, and also and, he, he gets to taste what it's like to be Sally through Maximilian when they both go on the trip. So she gets, it gets to be her time and he goes and finds out, wow, oh, this is just a crack of shit. Like this is nothing's real about this. Nothing, you know, we're not going to Africa, like, you know, all this, you know, so it's, it's him getting to play in her shoes a bit. And he, he finds about about, a lot out about himself but he also doesn't like not with maximilian type with a rich person schmoozing you around does he want to live that lifestyle or think there's any kind of nutritional value to it just somebody spoiling you taking you and dumping you that's pretty much and that's what they want like that's that's i mean there yeah there there's the the uh, the lifetime of remembering that time with Maximilian for them is a forgetful weekend for Maximilian. Exactly, and that to me, and that is eh, takes me back to my early twenties, um, <laughs> New York. Um, see, this is where I'm like conflicted upon each watching, and maybe I mean I don't know if you're gonna like kind of have these same questions or not, but when I trying to like really understand whether or not. I I want to say Brian genuinely loved Sally Bowles. Genuinely want to believe that he did. And I'm saying that only because the end of the movie makes me believe that kind of is, is he's at the end of the movie makes me believe that kind of now for Brian Sally is going to be a grand memory and is just a grand memory and nothing more than that. And I don't, I'm so conflicted on whether or not I, I, I'm just so conflicted on that. And what do you think? Do you think that, do you think that if Sally didn't have the abortion, Brian really would have stayed and wanted and desired that family with her? Or do you think that despite being caught off guard and bothered by it, which also could be just society standards at the time, where that's just a controversial thing to begin with and just kind of a shocking revelation to be presented with back then, um, that his reaction was more of like kind of just shock that it actually happened versus him being disappointed and shocked that family that he could have had with her is no more. I think it's going to weigh heavy on both of them for their lives. It's going to be like a what if type thing that they'll never yeah. get it. they'll see out but the fact it's probably better that way but the fact of the age they are like i don't know how old is brian supposed to be is he i, I know yeah. i know sally's like you know 19 to 22 let's yeah uh and for her and the type of her desires and her switching gears like that to be okay i'll be a mom let's get out of here do this i feel like it could be disastrous because she would still have those desires. A lot of what ifs or, you know, hangups that maybe she becomes a, 
she leans on Brian because she knows he'll take care of things and she still goes out. She still tries to be the star and neglects Brian and her, you know, because it's the twenties in my mind. Like I'm like, I'm glad stuff with me didn't happen till I was close. I was planned on like, I'll start thinking about getting married or whatever at 32, 33. I got, um, married at 28, first kid at 30, but, the twenties is a gauntlet. They don't tell you mm-hmm. that. And like, like, cause you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest. So it was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You got a high school. Maybe you got college. You get married. It's like, that's too early. You need to live fucking life and see shit. Because even if you get married, you might run into that. And it's so early. And your twenties are such an exploratory time of just, Maybe it's seeing the world. Maybe it's meeting new people. Like you can't just hold people you had. And granted, this is a different situation, but people you just shared education with as your people in your world. Um, But like, to me, that's important. And I I think having your 20s open like that, and maybe we're getting to a point where 30s like that. So if, if you eventually want to settle down in life and have a family, my suggestion is, get through your twenties first and then think about it again, because I know I'd say most of my friends that got married in their early to mid twenties are divorced. Um, and a lot of that happened because you know what? You didn't get to enjoy your twenties. You, you sat strapped to a school schedule. You didn't get to experience work life or just being free through your twenty for your twenties. Do it like, I lucked out. I moved to LA. I got the fuck away from everything. I, you know, and I, I think a type of person Sally is, she would still have a lot left desired in life that would come creeping back up once that baby was one or two years old or something. I don't know. I But I'm also not a woman. I don't know if motherly instincts or something would change me and connect me more, but I, I've seen enough, I've seen stuff in some women that, they get career driven stuff like that. That that might be a thing that she might just be like. I still want to do that. Or maybe she just leaves them. Who knows? I'm just yeah. putting it out there. She seems like there's ambition and drive in her that's never gonna go away. And when would that creep up again? See, that's interesting because, oh, and again, I'm probably projecting a lot in this like <laughs> episode because of just myself. I I don't see the same and drive maybe that you do within her i see someone who is longing to be loved right and doesn't know how to achieve that and then and she kind of feels like she she's kind of built her little world her little bubble within the kit kat club kind of without like carefree and everything as the song goes um kind of oblivious deliberately oblivious to the outside world um that's the thing is i and and that's what's interesting about this movie too is there are characters who really are unaware of what's actually society change like societal changes but then there are people who are actively kind of taking a kind of a deliberate approach to Mm -hmm. obliviousness and thing and and now we come into like kind of current times and we go, wait, is that something that we need to not kind of attack this notion of kind of deliberate 
obliviousness to the world at large, or are we going to be able to be more forgiving towards it because of that being a direct coping mechanism, because it's the only way they can actually function in a world that's falling apart is that deliberate choice to avoid. And I think right now, and now, now we're shifting gears to like more of the political context of this movie. Yeah. Um, um, and then I'll cry at the end for Sally again. Um, but the political context is obviously this is taking place during kind of the rise of Nazism in Germany. And, um, this movie really, again, does a brilliant job of just subtly weaving in those details through visual aspects, as opposed to just spelling it out in the dialogue, um, where you just start to see the emergence of certain little like symbolism and certain behaviors and certain actions, all like slowly progressing through this movie until one of the most haunting moments done in a beautiful manner mm-hmm. of the the boy singing the um the song at the picnic um the the nationalist song um that all the other children join in and sing with this kind of aesthetically pleasing blonde-haired blue-eyed um like teen with a nazi symbol on um it's not until like, you're into the song that you are revealed he's a nazi yeah exactly and but it's but you but you're experiencing this as a casual afternoon in the countryside with the beautiful trees and the sun is shining and the flowers and the food and just the overall pleasantness of it until it's revealed as you said like halfway through the song that like oh this is like tomorrow belongs to me is okay. This is all Nazi propaganda that is now being fed. And you have like, even there's that really quick insert shot of like the toddler mouthing the words to it. And you're like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And you really only see like kind of Brian kind of doing a double take going like, Oh, everybody's joining in. Like what happens now? Like, what can you do in that Brian's the only person concerned. The whole... Yeah. Well, granted, he comes from outside in this movie. Exactly. So, um, and so he's been seeing it, probably reading about it from somewhere else. But um, this it's funny because in this moment, we have this kid singing towards the crowd and everybody with him. But, like, we open the movie where there is a little Nazi kid, a blonde yep. boy, going through the cabaret, like, collecting money or something. And we get a cut. We get a camera panning away as we see him getting taken out, and then another angle. You see just outside the window, they're beating him up just for being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have everybody in in harmony with the Nazi kid. And then later we get Brian gets beat up for standing up to the Nazis, whereas at the beginning of the movie they were beating up Nazis to stand up to the Nazis, and then. Mm-hmm. Brian gets beat up because he is he's not afraid to speak or stand up to them, whereas everybody there just kind of wants a peaceful day. You know, it starts like that. Yeah. And then they start buying into it all. Like, yeah. um, there's the ideas that it, it gets brought up by Brian all the time. He's the only person who and people are like, oh, they're a joke. And then it's like, oh, well, you'll take out the communists and then we can control them. That's Maximilian's idea on it. Um, and it's really upsetting and i i don't think i would i can recall the approach and uh, portrayal of 
how people view the Nazism as it's uprising until uh, David Fincher's Mank, which came out a couple mm-hmm. years ago, uh, where they have that birthday party scene where everybody's like, eh, and Gary Oldman's like, the fuck, guys? You know, something needs to be done about these. And it's in this nonchalant, like, eh, well, you know. And it, it it's... It's all really scary watching today in America and seeing this and be and hearing, especially the scene where uh, they come back to the boarding house and there's the uh, the old people there spouting off propaganda at Brian uh, that they've been, yeah. their news has changed. Uh, they've got incorrect information that's clearly false, but they are spouting it out, and I'm like, well, that's like that's like people's aunts and uncles on Facebook now. Yes. Well, well then, but it's the thing is like, they don't have, well, and that's something that we also are forgetting, which we try to draw parallels between now and then. And of course you always can draw parallels to it, Mm -hmm. but given the flow of information and technology and accessibility, I imagine, but again, I didn't live there obviously, but without kind of like information at our fingertips, literally in our pockets all the time nowadays, back then it would have been this kind of gradual progression that they lure you in with a false sense of comfort Mm -hmm. because that picnic scene was very comforting. Like it felt very comfortable. It felt like this is the place you want to be. There was something very hopeful, optimistic about it. Hindsight. Now we're going like, like, Oh my God, that symbol. No. Yeah. Like in that moment, there's literally no outside computers in our pockets to tell us like red flag, red flag, red flag. It's just, you're lured into this false sense of comfort. And that, that's where I feel like that's why if you get into things nowadays, it's like, how you're literally like red flags everywhere, (laughs) waving around like metaphorical ones, I should say um, that we're experiencing all the time to kind of being able to like discern information ideally better compared to when those resources weren't available and things were much more controlled and restricted Mm -hmm. i mean we're seeing that with russia because a lot of russian um polls support the war that's happening with the ukraine and you're just like oh but then you have a dictator who's also controlling the information being out there and if you don't have access to the other stuff then how can we argue that that's why brian comes in and is like um you guys this seems a little like odd and then that's when you have like kind of that two groups of people being like oh kind of dismissive of it and the other people who are just like can't be bothered like welcome to the club and and they cope with it the club's an escape (laughs) they create these like essentially like performative like like snl skits like satira like satirizing the the whole rise of nazism mm-hmm. um and you'll have and you have the um, the mc when like in drag with like a, a helmet on um well and then the mud wrestling where he puts the hitler mustache on and everybody's like ha exactly. um and then of course you have in the movie the the um um through my eyes um, where where the last line, which was changed and then changed back, and there was all this controversy about that, um, where um, she wouldn't look Jewish at all or whatever. So there is yeah. very much an awareness of it in the movie. That's what I was saying, where I'm like, are they playing to the Nazis now? Or is it a joke? Like, that's the... Or is it trying to be a message? Like, I, 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 can't, I can't tell. I'm like, are you trying to... Yeah. 
I want to say he delivers that line to camera in the yeah. movie. Like he he breaks the wall. I mean, and if he, I mean, it feels like he broke the wall and was like, like you're like, oh crap! Like don't look at me. Yeah. Um, but but I mean, it's supposed to both make you uncomfortable, but then is that is making light of this situation problematic? But then you have to look at the time when again you don't really have information coming in from every angle of your life that would this necessarily is this their way of maybe calling it out or is this their way of encouraging it and that's where i'm slightly conflicted yeah and i don't think i don't think you need to know movie isn't trying to make that judgment call because this movie clearly establishes them nazism is wrong like that isn't like there but now we're just looking at the very like facets of people's lives and how it's perceived because you have that like heartbreaking breakup well breakup before they get married um with natalie and um oh my god what's the, the teacher's name um oh fritz, uh, fritz thank you mm-hmm. um i was like why am i forgetting when she just drives off and he like latches onto the car and he's like what are you doing and she's like i can't do this and and she's freaking out and then you finally like find out why and she's like uh, like i'm jewish and then and then she like drives away and like at that point you start realizing like okay this is serious and whatever's happening is clearly well, her life starting... flips upside down because of it all yep um but then he, it's revealed later that he is jewish as well mm-hmm. um but he was hiding it so start realizing like well if this isn't bad then why are people having to end relationships and why are people having to hide their identities for something that is hopeful so like just subtly you get those things where then once it starts directly impacting the people like people directly related to each other they start to take more action i guess but the movie kind of stops it when it's almost too late because unfortunately we know the reality of it and it Mm -hmm. didn't get stopped before it was too late because it clearly happened Mm -hmm. so um so the movie can't rewrite history and unfortunately, all those revelations in real life happened way too late. And that's what the movie is interesting about is because by the moment that I think the breakup happens, the Natalia Fritz breakup does happen after the um, the the countryside luncheon thing with the singer, right? I think it does. It does. And then and the, the yeah. breakup happens and then she has her dog. That do- dead oh, dog my gosh. On, yeah. Yeah trigger warning don't watch this movie or fast forward through that part because that was that yeah. i forgot about that i totally forgot about it it was like <laughs> dead well, dog and um, they do get yeah. married they have a jewish wedding like and um but we never we can only assume what becomes of of them sadly which sucks because yeah. well yeah um uh, but, that's, but that's what i mean is that the the point of that luncheon where everybody begins to sing and again shot beautifully because it isn't revealed till mm-hmm. later on um that he is wearing a nazi um symbolism um at that point it's already too late mm-hmm. like like that is really the defining moment where it is no longer just a concept but a reality and and it's too late to take action as like a group because you at that point it shifted sides as you were saying like you have the beginning and the the nazis are getting beat up and then you have 
the middle part at that moment is when that shift happens and you realize if you're against it you're the minority now, right yeah what do you do because there's the yeah the people at the boarding house and then when brian talks stands up to the nazis on the street just for being there like they're just promoting nazism yep. there's random people on the street telling them to shut up and uh, you yep. know joining in and this Fossey shows the town going just to hell slowly in the background behind you seeing more spray paint more torn things there's a dead body on the street at one point and the funny thing is like sally it's not worth her time like the no. whole the whole movie that's and and that's where i get into this kind of deliberate obliviousness because i mean we see that now today because you really can't escape the woes of the world anymore like you just can't like mm -hmm. you turn on any tv thing there's a commentary somewhere um no matter what it is there's strife in the world and we're going to hear about it so we shut down and we have these um oh that is one thing that shifted with me said like this year since i've last talked to you is like i've i've kind of started to embrace is the wrong word tiktok um but it is a <laughs> fascinating place yeah. Um, because I like um, made friends with somebody who's like obsessed with TikTok, and he spent like the entire time on TikTok. And then I was like, "What's the big deal?" And then I got on TikTok, and I realized like three hours of my life just disappeared. And I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god, how did three hours of my life just disappear on TikTok?" Like you don't realize how it is such a vacuum and like a mm -hmm. void. And that's honestly how I imagine the Kit Kat Club to kind of be, not for the guests, but for the performers in there it's like their own little kind of like vacuum where they have this freedom they have this whole ability to say and do whatever they want and um that might be the only way they can actually function in the world because if they don't do that then they will just cry in a ball in a corner every minute right. of the day um and but that's why it's like yeah what? The, the, well the dangerous thing about everything is while we sit and we we don't condone it we will tweet about it. We'll make a TikTok video about it. Uh, yep. SNL will go ahead and make sketches about it. TV shows us that. The news will go, oh, that's bad. Doing all that. But meanwhile, the other side who's getting poked at stuff is actually taking action, forming, doing. Yes. doing and that's the scary part. They're actually doing yep. they don't. That doesn't matter if you're an embarrassment on the internet. They believe in their cause and they're actually forming, doing, and it's, scary because and that's kind of what is going on here and then some of those people bleed in and join that at some point at some point something happens and they move over and it's it's really weird because while we sit and no oh, i don't ah, blah make fun they don't care they're forming taking action and you see shit like the January 6th insurrection and stuff like, oh, shit. Like, you don't see the people against it taking those actions. No, you just, ah, I'm mad I tweet. Like, that's not action. Yeah. We live in no. we live in a world. I I like the social media as much as anybody else, but it creates a, an illusion. Uh, yes. And, and uh, you curate it, so you've made an echo chamber for yourself. Congrats. Uh, the world looks like you kind of want it. People are angry when you're angry. They'll show you things to make you angry about things you care about. All that stuff, but there's a grand illusion that you cannot see um, that that happens with it, and you got to be attentive more than just you now. I changing your profile picture to a flag of the Ukraine does not make it go away. Does not change. Good. Well, I hope you support the Ukraine. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. You know, like I shouldn't have to tell you the good, th- you know, like I, well, good. I, I was hoping you weren't a racist. Like that's, that's not, there's an illusion. Yeah. And that's why these, uh, the, the uprisings and stuff can happen because you think you've made a difference by putting text on a site. Like didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, and it's a double-edged sword because, like, it can bring to light issues yeah. you didn't know about. It can do yeah. good, but I'm saying, in terms of people thinking they're doing actions, or why is this happening? Yeah, it's yeah. Nature of it all is we've made it. We've made it easy to be passively active, um, mm-hmm. um, but that's the thing is there's also this notion of don't want to leave the potential of atrocity to that extent. Right. Like you just don't want to accept that. Like this is a world we live in where people can do that. So it's almost like you just go like, no, that can't be real because like, I don't want to live in a world that that is true. We should be beyond barbarism and shit by now, but we are not. not. And that's where it's haunting because like you want to do something but you also don't want to live in a world where that's possible. Right. So like if you do something, it reinforces the fact that it's happening. And that is terrifying because you just, you don't, you just want to sit on TikTok for three hours instead, because it's just like, you don't know yep. what to do otherwise. And, and that's why like, so that like, so now to bring back to like Sally Bowles and meltdown number three for me, is um and you mentioned it earlier which is very true like you don't really see her taking action towards furthering her career beyond the Kit Kat club um that's why i don't know if she is as driven and ambitious for herself or if it's more if it's all externally motivated and like from i mean basically she even says in that breakdown about her father um but i didn't care but i'm gonna show him i'm gonna be like an actor like for you are you doing that for point to your father and i and i mean maybe part of it is for her she feels the glamour but i think what really strikes me and again this is projecting on a 20 year old so all that you said about 20 year olds and like having like freedoms and not being ready for certain things Mm -hmm. does apply still so picture this sally (laughs) balls is like 30 um like in her third like she's 30 now let's Mm -hmm. let's say 30 um realistically i feel like probably be still in the kit club club if if this wasn't during you know the rise of Nazism and like the pending doom of world war ii if this was in a non like in a non-war torn time i feel like someone like sally bowles would be in the kit kat club for like 10 years yeah and then she would end up being a more significant role to it so so let's let's place her now at this point where she's in the club, she has aspirations beyond the kick club, but she's doing nothing actually about it. But the reality is you have this woman who wants nothing more than to be loved and embraced and accepted. And then she finds it. Brian. So we're like, we're sticking this movie, making her older. And Brian who sees through her, through her masks, through all the facades that she has, not only sees through it, but also finds that quality endearing about her. And then you have become pregnant. Now, here's the other question about this movie, too, is um, partially, partially, and this is all speculation, this is all theory, too, is, I, I mean, given her line of work, because it is alluded to that there is, I mean, she works 
in a cabaret, but it's uh, also has some escort aspects to it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, debating whether or not she really does wonder who the father is or if that's her just using it as kind of a scapegoat protection, like kind of protection thing. Like, does she really not know who the father is? I think she's more self-aware than that. I think she, there might be some questions, but I probably believe that I think she thinks it's Brian. And I'll tell you what. So, um, well, I always think it is. Yeah. It's it's his or Maximilian's. Um, it, in real life, like it was the Maximilian guy that got because there because the author said that there was a guy, him and this girl. Yeah, was it Jean Ross? Is that what her name was? Um, they this random rich dude came in their lives, um, took him out for this crazy weekend, slept with both of them, then just disappeared, and she was wound up pregnant with his baby and then had some awful abortion that went along with it. Um, yep. But that's what the the true story uh, that this is based on came from. So I always figured Which it was... They deviated from a lot within this um, whole yep. thing. Um, but that's the thing is I think she probably, she probably is debating whether or not it's like Brian or Max. I think in her heart, she wanted nothing more than to believe it was Brian's. Mm-hmm. But then also she knew that if it wasn't Brian, she could probably lose him. So she so she plays it like vague. But now you have somebody who suddenly now just kind of goes, let's do this. Because I don't think that Brian, I think through Sally, he feels like he can start living a more carefree life. I mean, he is living a more carefree life. He, he like slowly warms up to Max and is realizing like, oh, this is kind of fun. But I think his actual desires towards Max are more authentic than um, Sally's are. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Sally sees him as kind of like a security blanket and like a, 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 yeah, as a security blanket and Max actually kind of, or, and uh, Brian kind of finds him more like sexually alluring and appealing. I don't think Max really, or I don't think Brian's actually concerned about the wealth with Max um, like Sally. Well, Max is seeing things in Brian that I don't think he's had anyone seeing him before not even sally and sally's just kind of like well this is a let's enjoy this ride while it lasts get free Mm -hmm. stuff be you know have some sex let's be fancy and rich for a little bit till he goes away like uh, sally knows he's gonna go away at some point i think it's more of a bit of a shock to brian that it does happen but he's also not surprised but here this is now this is where sally is truly like the most heartbreaking character to me. And again, I'm making her older in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she made those decisions to abort and do all those things, which I mean, are reasonable given the circumstances, of mm-hmm. course. Um, because I don't think she believed that she could truly be loved. And, um, and she was creating a fantasy and she had a life and something that I think she dreamt about, which is family, because why would she make such a point about her father and not showing up and not caring and all this other stuff? If there wasn't this kind of longing, um, longing for family and like this connection and building something, and that can mean something different to everybody else. And that's the thing that people also get wrong about relationships all the time is relationships don't mean sacrifice. There's compromise, there's all that, but you don't have to sacrifice for that. And I feel like if Brian and, stayed together 
I don't think he would genuinely stop her from performing. I, I don't think he would try to, I think he would actually be a positive influence in her life and allow her to have the freedom to continue on with this lifestyle because I think he already recognizes that part of her and appreciates that part of her. And part of the appeal of Sally, especially at the time, is beyond the androgyny aspect of it, is she's an unconventional beauty. And if you look at like, there's, there's, and, and that's what I think part of that's where the controversy also lied about like her playing Sally Bowles because the original one was really not like, as I said, not talented and not really attractive and not really, um, not really that overly appealing the mm-hmm. like the person it's based on. And then you have like someone like Liza Minnelli, all the charisma, all the things. And you're just like, wait a second, how do you do it? I think what it is for her is she's just out of her element in the weirdest way, mm-hmm. rather than being kind of this, she's just lost and found something that, just because you can doesn't mean you should type of lifestyles. Mm-hmm. And um, she's not really that good at being a femme fatale. She's a great performer, but she's not good at being a femme fatale. And that's yeah. what's funny is she thought that she was good at it. And the Max thing proved to her that she wasn't as good as she thought she was because she was starting to buy into all that. And she's like, wait a second, they're supposed to buy what I'm selling. Right. They just sold, he sold me on something that, wait, how did this happen? So, so at that point, I think her world got flipped upside down, not because of Max leaving, but it was that realization that she doesn't have a grasp on her life the way she thought she did. She doesn't really have, I think she, I think she had a moment of identity crisis there. So she latched on to the next best, like the next thing, which was so it was probably what she needed to to help her steer in a direction because I mean, and that doesn't make her weak um, to like have somebody come into your life who helps steer you in a direction. That doesn't make somebody weak. And it frustrates me to no end that people have this attitude of like pushing people away that want to help you. And you're like, I can do it myself. I'm strong. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, somebody helping you does not make you weak. Um, yeah. Yeah, like uh, projecting, but like that's what it is. And I just think that at that point with Sally and feeling this kind of being presented with something that she's longed for and family and love and connection and and comfort, but in a non-transactional way, freaked her out that she, she decided to push things away and she... She basically pushed Brian in her life deliberately, um, intentionally to to avoid coming deeper into this fantasy and this family and all that and potentially losing it. So it was easier for her to erase that whole concept than to accept she can be loved. That was a very roundabout way to get there, but that's kind of where I'm at. And that's why her character is so heartbreaking and goes against the self-interest because she really probably pushed away somebody who would have her out. And now that we know what happens in the world in the time period that this does, and she's at the club and you don't really know what her future would hold. I feel like Brian would have been able to have gotten her out of that and would have made her maybe not as much of a focal point within the society. Brian leaves just in time, just in time. And like, yeah, that's the thing with Sally Bull's fate is just who knows? Like that's, so scary like 
And and that is scary. But that's the thing is that I don't think Sally would have had to have given up on any of her life's aspirations by being with Brian. Yeah. And again, as a 20 year old, I get where you don't necessarily where you feel that like sudden pressure of like tying yourself down. But at the same time, though, like. 20 and 20 then is different than 20 now. And we have right. to kind of look at that too. True, true, so, true. so there is a dip, bit of a difference, but she probably um, only expected to live to like 60, 65 back then. So, yeah. and that's, and that's the thing is that heartbreaking to see somebody who has all that charisma and all that, that ability to do so like kind of, um, who has so much to offer and doesn't believe in themselves beyond this kind of sleazy club. And then to be presented with something that you long for so long, only to then actively take steps to push it away um, because you feel undeserving. Mm-hmm. And that that's just hard to watch in any circumstance. And then just know, and then feel the weight of like literally the world crashing down on Germany right after that. It's just, Sally is such a heartbreaking character and this movie is just very I mean the movie doesn't leave you with a lot of hope um uh, unfortunately um it doesn't make it any less beautiful but it doesn't leave you with much hope mm-hmm. um, and is, I just yeah. is is in in a way is Maximilian some sort of thematic way to the relationship of Brian and Sally is he Nazi Germany to their relationship because if he doesn't show up, yeah, he's blonde. I can't. Yeah. I don't remember his eye color. He shows up. They're kind of nonchalant. It's 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 new. It's whatever. Brian's kind of questioning him at first. All this like, man, he kind of just lets it go, and then he buys into it as well. And after that, the relationship is there, but ends. And if yeah. if there's no Maximilian, where do they are? Brian and Sally were doing just fine. Before yeah, he shows up, is. everything and he he's blonde. I was just thinking, like he's blonde. They make sure to let you know his mustache is blonde. His first thing yeah, he shows up, true. it's almost like died. And I wonder if there's some sort of metaphorical purpose of Maximilian being like the Nazi Germany in the background, while we as a viewer just see it as a. It's like, oh, that's actually kind of reminiscent of what's going on in the world, but with their relationship, and he is the 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 new ideal inter. It, you know, yeah. brought in and yeah, like, and he loses it a true. disaster. Like that's true. He provides them comfort. He provides them like a potential future. He provides them kind of, he gives them expectations. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of how they lure it in. I mean, that's what we saw at the luncheon with that comforting, like very, that's like pleasing environment. And then you just hear all this stuff. So yeah, Max, and he's all like, here, Brian, come over. And he's like, eh, and then he buys in. Yeah, they, because Brian doesn't accept the, the gold cigar or cigar mm-hmm. case or cigarette case at first. And then he does. And then he starts wearing the sweater that Max likes or the Max gets him or whatever. The light blue sweater. But then you also see that moment where um, they're all like the three of them are very intimate. And they're all like holding each other. And then like Max like basically starts to hyperventilate or not max um brian starts to hyperventilate and then like almost like collapses because he's too overwhelmed by it um so yeah no there there is a lot of interesting parallels between kind of that relationship and just mm-hmm. kind of this idea of the the infiltrating like seeping mm-hmm. propaganda coming in too because i mean again max played them 
Um, but, but here's the thing is like, Brian knew it. Sally didn't. But Brian joined in and then was like, Oh gosh, damn it. Why did I, you know, he realizes it. Yeah. This mustache man comes in and charms the hell and brings him in. And yeah, I'm just like, Hmm, there's some, there's something to read into that. Yeah, nobody, nobody was like, and then and with the propaganda, nobody was safe from like kind of all the political stuff. It was mm-hmm. children, it was men, it was women, it was all the things, um, unless you were like Jewish, <laughs> because then yeah. you can't play into it because you're being attacked. Right. But that's the thing is that like, so yeah, Max coming in and he's like, man, woman, I'll get what well, I'll get them all. Like Max was just, it was a game to Max. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Sally just, Sally felt important because, you know, the allure of wealth makes you feel important. Money makes people feel important. And let me tell you, that is not true. You can matter to somebody without money. Um, but society values money over people. Um, it's sad, but true. Um, yeah, yeah. So, okay, well, then that's interesting. I've never actually thought about it, but now that it popped it, in my like, head as we were conversing with this, I was like, it was not in my notes. So, <laughs> yeah, not in mine either. I was like, I have a lot of things about Sally in my notes, but I don't, and I have a lot of things about Max in notes, but not this analogy of kind of the parallels between Nazi Germany and... Because he looks like your ideal Nazi, like blonde hair and just... Yeah. Yeah. Like that's... Fascinating. Yeah. And that is true. And just the gradual progression of how it all came to be and just like, and, and that's true is that there are people who played into the propaganda being like "Ooh, what is this like oh it's exciting as mm-hmm. as sally did with max and then there are other people being like let me get a hold on this first give me a second let me process so you get both both perspectives going into max you don't really see like all of a sudden max being like what you see in a lot of like movies or rom-coms it's like the new guy shows up and everybody's like what who's that yeah you get, you get both kind of perspectives of it but not only that you actually get kind of like three perspectives of it because you get sally's interpretation mm-hmm. you get brian's interpretation and then you just get kind of he's just there by the other people he meets like yeah. while he's there or whatever at the thing and they're just like oh it's max like what's the thing so you just he exists within the world and mm-hmm. yet you see how how and sally both project onto him certain aspects of it too so yeah you get kind of max as this kind of who would have guessed that max actually is as flushed out as you can interpret, it's such a fleshed out kind of plot device, but also mm. is, yeah. Um, fascinating. Interesting. Mm. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. That's my think piece for Max. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the movie, I mean, this is one of the most decorated Academy Award winners of all time. It holds the record for most Oscars earned by a film not honored for best picture, best picture. has eight, uh, had, uh, it won eight, was nominated for ten. Uh, it lost on adapted screenplay and best picture to The Godfather. Uh, the Godfather was nominated for eleven and only won three. Um, yeah. One of the eleven nominations um, was revoked. Um, the original score won, and uh, of the uh, it won two awards uh, that it won that night over a cabaret, and one was best actor, but that was declined. So, um, it was Cabaret that was the big winner of that night, yep. and probably shocking that The Godfather took home Best Picture. I, I guess, I mean, because Cabaret had everything, 
Uh, it wasn't up for Best Actor. They, Michael York did not get nominated. Um, it won Supporting Actor uh, for Joel Gray, won Best Actress for Liza Minnelli, won Best Director for Bob Fosse, uh, Cinematography, Art Direction, Film Editing, Score, Sound, like The Godfather wins Screenplay, Actor, Best Picture. Like, yeah. I, I guess you could put two and two, you could put those together. It won a couple biggies, but like, wow. Um, you can tell the voters come from the, the categories have different voters. That's, that's the thing. Um, but it's just crazy. And Fosse, you know, Coppola, very deserving. Um, he would win it for Godfather 2, which he would joke that they were waiting for me to make the other half of the film for, yeah. uh, to yeah. give you the Oscar. But um, Fosse won an Oscar, Tony, and Emmy in the same year. Um, that was just insane. He was almost at EGOT in one year. Uh, he's got great touches here. Aside from, you know, the slowly building Nazi Germany, the book ends of this, where it starts on, like, is it a chandelier reflection mm-hmm. yeah. of the audience with Joel Gray's face popping up and pans into the, the first number? And then the end, they finish the number, and it quiet. But the film starts quiet. Like, when you first play, it's quiet, 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 till Joel Gray comes up. And then at the end of number finishes, it's quiet again. But in the reflection, we get the Nazis, and it pauses on that, and you're stuck with that haunting image of just the crowd full of Nazis watching from the cabaret. Welcome to be there. Um, he also he's got uh, a good touch. Like um, I loved at the beginning where he goes, "The girls are beautiful," but it cuts to the man in drag putting the wig on uh, with mm-hmm. that, and then between the uh, the heartbreaking scene uh, and the the picnic that you talk about, and mm-hmm. the following scene where she announces the abortion of Flash. Okay, so it's they they talk about the baby. We have flashes through the movie, and then she gives a bouncy ball back to a kid going upstairs. And there's a cut to a dark curtain. It's opened in a V shape with red lighting and a backdrop, and the dancers like wildly burst through the stage. And it's a quick cut of that. Of them just plumbing out, and then that's the next scene. She reveals to Brian she had an abortion, and I'm like, yeah. "Damn!" Um, yeah. So Fosse just—he had uh, his, this was his second film. He years like five, six years before this did uh, Sweet Charity, which was a failure, uh, and he was like on the list of don't hire this guy. And second time out boom because he went sweet charity more traditional 60s film yes this got to be more person got to take more personality to it got to be more creative with it which uh which where he was at the time it's surprising that they let him go but that's that was the 70s with this time was let the guy in charge let him speak and we don't get that a lot anymore too much anymore in our mainstream movies a lot we still do we still do but like that's why people when they go back and always romanticize the 70s filmmaking we get a lot of personal i mean you may not be stuff you always agree with it may be some stuff that's eh, but it, it's a voice it's a part this is you know fossey's speaking through a story he had here um very deserving of that best director oscar and he has he's a very short career in terms of directing films he's got a giant stage career but in his short time damn good stuff um he did yeah. the the film i believe is lenny his next one after this 
Uh, Lenny Bruce, sure. Lenny Bruce one with Dustin Hoffman, which is excellent. Yeah, and then um, of course all that jazz is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's Star eighty and Sweet Chair. Like he's he the short sample size we have. Uh, he was I would put it, he's one of the greats. Um, he is without easily. a doubt. Uh, and this movie is just insane. Time. I mean, you can watch this, pick it up at any time. It's a period piece, and it feels because of the. 70s film stock they use stuff there's a genuine touch to it that feels yes feels right um he's got very uh it's, he's got definitely that sort of um uh lifelike documentary feel that freakin and and uh coppola were introducing to the film world that people were picking up on he does his own kind of thing with it there's beautiful i like the cinematography i i Having just watched The Godfather bit recently, it's it's a tough one, but I think there's a hair more innovative, like wild card stuff that this movie has over The Godfather, which has a lot of traditionally looking good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a hair, the wild card factor I would give to uh, Cabaret on there. But uh, the fact that we got both these and they had to go up against each other is one of those heart, like, why does, why can't you give yeah. it to both? And there's other good films up that yeah. year, but these two. Super, super strong ones. Um, and the fact that just Cabaret dominated. And it seems like we forget that. Um, it seems like, yeah. you know, it's the 50th anniversary of Cabaret. They, there were, I saw some articles and stuff, but The Godfather's going to dominate that 50th anniversary cause, uh, conversation this year. So I wanted to talk about Cabaret. I've written about Godfather this year. So uh, there's there's that. But I want to talk about Cabaret because it's... I don't think Cadbury's disappeared, but I, I think it should be in this gigantic monument of great films. because It didn't win Best Picture, which if it did, you know, we'd probably, oh, the Godfather should have won. One of those years where, yeah. you know what? Sometimes there's a lot of good pictures up. Yeah. Sometimes it's better for one to not win Best Picture, in all honesty. Yeah. Um, like uh, yeah. All the Star Wars bro people that... Refused to watch Annie Hall or have hated on Annie Hall for years because oh, it'd be best. I'm like, you guys, you are missing out. Um, but you know that that's what happens. Um, yeah, it, it just like I watched. I have it in my what else? But ordinary people. Uh, now the the movie that beat Raging oh. Bull and Elephant Man. But like, folks, it's, it's a really good movie. It's um, <laughs> it's like the uh, it, it was it was a deconstruction of the 1980s like yuppie family life before that decade even happened it's so crazy and ahead of its time but yeah the cabaret is brilliant it's one of the best films ever made and i think everyone should if i know some people are musicals i am pretty sure you could find an in on this one easily yeah well and that's what i said i was like it's not it's not a typical musical like and that's not an excuse to me like say like oh it's not a movie where you go in and like people break out into song mm-hmm. um like all the all the music in this movie is intentional and it is it is meant to be we are meant to be viewing it as if we are at a live stage show mm-hmm. um it's not people singing through the streets so it, it is I mean, if you like music, then you can like this movie. Like, you don't have to like musicals to like it. You just have to appreciate music and storytelling. Right. And the um, choreography really, is oh. impressively restrained and still impressive. Like, it's it's really, like, they don't try to go over the top with the stage that they have, but it still is really good and well-blocked right. and everything. And 
I mean, those songs are songs are killer too. That I mean, I mean, yeah, you're either laughing, got like two ladies, or money is fun, or you're just like, damn, that was a good number. Um, yeah, maybe this time it's still. I mean, mm-hmm. like it's just such a simple song with so much power. And I mean, for anybody who's really ever doubted themselves, like that is that is the like that is the ultimate anthem for doubt. It's like maybe this time I'll be lucky. Maybe this time he'll stay. Maybe this time I'll be lucky. Like, it's just, it's really just hard to watch when you're, or like, yeah, it's just the ultimate kind of anthem for insecurity. And, um, and drawing back, I just realized in my notes, a few things um, playing into why I say that Sally um, really does go against her back, um, go against her best interest and pushes Brian away because she flat out does say to him, how soon would it be before we started hating each other? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know how many listeners out there have experienced this or whatnot, but I believe that that is one of the more significant and heartbreaking reasons why relationships end is because people are so scared to lose something that's good then just embrace the love and the embrace the goodness that they have in front of them. So they would rather end it on their own terms than risk jeopardizing something good and leading to hate. They would rather end it before there's any level of hate. And that seems so (laughs) self-contradictory and it's very like thing, but it's true that people would rather end in a a relationship on a high note Mm -hmm with doubts rather than end a relationship because you realize that maybe it wasn't what you thought it could be. And that I, I just, yeah, I'm not going to get into that one, but I just, that's why I just wonder if Sally really, really felt like she was making the right decision or felt undeserving of love and therefore decided to push it away and go to what was comfortable and familiar with her because she doesn't really see more in her life. And that makes Sally one of the most heartbreaking characters in all of theatrical or in like history. Um, because, because you can see so much more potential in her and she chooses not to. Um, but that's even, one of her whims, as she says. Even just the, the, the nature of the final performance, the cabaret, the song that's like a sweeping, haha, jolly time. There's so much sadness yeah. to it in the performance. Yep. And that's all yeah. Liza Minnelli. Um, yeah. Just, it's like, man, this this song's supposed to make you feel good, and you're just like, yeah, life is a cabaret. Huh? She she brought a weight, a weightiness to this, mm-hmm. like a weight and a meat to this role that you really, that I don't know if many people would have, um, because again, that final number, her eyes are telling a different story than what her body and movement and tone is conveying. And that's what makes her performance genius of it because she could have just smiled through it. Like the MC does throughout like his performance of like that number. And that is one of my dream roles too. If I ever did a musical, Mm -hmm. the MC would be the ultimate role that I would love to do. Um, Yeah. So anyway, um, but I love this movie and it, and it resonates deeply with me on multiple layers right now. And um, yeah, I can't believe it's 50 years old. 50 years Um, old. But here we are. And I mean, it's getting attention now because of the Oscars and um, Liza Minnelli presenting Best Picture mm-hmm. um, and in honor. And I think they they introduced her with um, Cabaret celebrating its 50th anniversary. Yep. So they did. They did acknowledge that, at least at the Oscars, which is kind of the irony of it, 
that Liza Minnelli is presenting Best Picture at the Oscars for a film celebrating 50 years that won everything but Best Picture. Well, and The Godfather um, just had that little moment of awkward, yeah. like, here, here's, where's the rest of everything? Because they were like, the cast reunion, and it ends up being Coppola, Pacino, and De Niro, who wasn't even in The Godfather, the first Godfather, just, hey, yeah, well, thank you. And there, there's so many misfires of this Oscars, but like it goes, uh, yeah, she's handing out for Best Picture, which didn't win Best Picture. They also had the odd milestone of 28th anniversary of Pulp Fiction, which was this Twitter. And then they bring out three people who were nominated and lost for yeah. that movie and didn't yeah. win the acting award to present uh, Best Actor. Like, yeah. What? So many baffling decisions without the slap that made it a pretty bad show. Yeah. But, um, the the movies were good. The winners were pretty much pretty good. Um, so it got those right. While its show to put those on were something and like else. one of the longest Oscars. Yeah. Cut it <laughs> short. Let's cut awards and make it twenty minutes Long. longer. Like. Just yeah, to, that oh, was kind of shocking. Just make your Oscars. Don't worry about if people aren't gonna if they weren't gonna watch before, they're not gonna watch now. Like, damn, nah. I, if they were whole... to do the Oscars, they they honestly should do kind of a like a, a retrospective of the year in film and all the nominated stuff, and literally like skip the award show and just like utilize like like do on news pages, being like watch the like winners acceptance speeches without all that like do like a nice like hour long or 90 minute just kind of like about the nominated films and then like just go online to find the the speeches of the winners <laughs> that i think would be a more effective thing like well, I, just, I never really had a problem with the show before like, i'm a movie fan i like that i like the show i'm gonna watch the oscars some years better than others but i never really got into the whole like Worst Oscars ever. Host was terrible. Like yeah. uh, it's always an overreaction every year that happens. But this year, I was totally like, "Yeah, that was a bad show." Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, but it's a it's a hard time to to to. It's just an interesting time that we live in right now, where where opulence and indulgence, as mm-hmm. we're seeing in um, cabaret, it just it's it, it's tricky. It's tricky to find the balance of of how to how to idealize certain things and to embrace um wealth and power and fame and yet still recognize our pitfalls as a society so i think that's why i think award shows are just viewed a little differently now Mm -hmm. um the pomp and circumstances just kind of lands a little differently just like a performer at the kit kat club performing to one set of audience and then months later to a group of Nazis. It just lands a little different. A little different. Yeah. So, so be it. What else? Um, We'll just talk about random things. We may may speed out of this one because we have been talking about Cabaret for about two hours. But Greg, you got anything for what else? Uh, you know, um, I've talked enough on this. Oh, um, random though, this you would appreciate though. So maybe your listeners would too. Um, randomly found out the other day that there is a fan made hour long film called Scream Legacy 
that picks up that just oh. got put on the YouTube. The whole thing is there. I watched it the other day. Okay. Surprisingly decent film quality. I mean, you can tell it's like not like big budget thing, but I mean, like they, they, they pulled it off. Um, that picks up after the events of Scream 3, but 22 years later. Oh. So Scream 4 is not canon in this fan made film based on Scream. And they use, um, they do use the um, iconic song from Scream, the red right hand um and um which was um it was used in uh uh uh, uh sandra bullock oh, movie the lost city yes i was just about to say <laughs> i was like, like wait I we got that movie we got two movies that were that are using that this year awesome okay um i was i when i saw that like because i just, oh speaking of i did just see that movie and mm-hmm. i did love it it was like total throwback to like 2000 big blockbuster just yep. campy action films Sandra Bullock has an age and Channing Tatum is still a God among men. Um, and he's lovely in real life because I've spent a day with him. So I, I can say confidently that like, I am a big champion of Channing um, Chan and um, love that movie. But yeah, check out if you're a super fan of scream, check out scream legacy. That is fascinating. And it is a full hour long. Um, and it's Sydney's daughter mm. um, as the lead. Um, who returns to Woodsboro. Um, so it's interesting. It is very interesting how they pull it, it off. Um, yeah, check that out. Funny so. enough, uh, this reminds me, it throws me back to like when I was in high school and stuff and I was in a group of people online and we were all writing our own like scream offshoot scripts. Yeah. Uh, so I was I was proofreading reading and... Um, and helping punch up like people like we were just passing around these scream scripts. We want to make, I don't know why, cause we're not creative enough to make our own <laughs> slashers or something like that. But, uh, I, I worked, I did a plenty of them. Some of them, like they were shooting, like these have been shot on camcorders and stuff. I wonder if any of them exist on YouTube or got done. Cause I know one, uh, had a trailer. They were actually getting pretty far into it. Um, I never wrote like an actual, actually, Take the back. I, I didn't write any scream because I was writing my own slasher called Argus, um, which uh, I, I named it after uh, Odysseus's dog that stayed back while he was gone on uh, the Odyssey. And he was always because he was a very watchful person. So I was like, oh, watchful Argus, blah, blah, blah. It had nothing to do with the goddamn. I, this is a teenager thinking he's writing adult stuff. Uh, but. Well, that can be your next podcast, as you were saying, about yeah. the one of somebody reading their... Um, reading right. their uh, one of the guys who helped me with that script ended up going... He wrote uh, that Joan Cusack sitcom. He was a writer on that. And I would send oh, wow. him... He would help me with that script. Um, funny, funny things how that happened. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of funny. Uh, yeah, I saw Lost City as well. It's it's a fun time. I took my whole family. We had a, we had a good time. I was like, yeah, it's a... It's a good one. Um, but yeah, like I mentioned, mine was Ordinary People, which I just did the the Blu-ray. It, it, it baffles me that a Best Picture winner comes out in Blu-ray, on Blu-ray for the first time ever in like the 16th year of Blu-ray, and there's already a better format that's been around for six years. And I'm just like, huh. why, does that, why does that sit on the shelf? Like, I feel like those are historically significant movies, but mm-hmm. I'd never seen it before. Um yeah, like, oh, yeah, you're in a hurry for Blu-ray. You haven't even watched it before, Brandon. But, uh, yeah, very, very good movie. Uh, very, I felt like I wasn't alive in 1980, but I know the ideals and the yuppiness and all that stuff. 
And I feel like it's deconstructed before that decade even happens and follows suit or whatever. But it's really, really interesting. Uh, Shocked Donald Sutherland did not get a Best Actor nomination for it. But Timothy Hutton's up. Have you seen Ordinary People? I have. It's he's been a, a while, but I he's have. He's a yeah. revelation in that movie. Like I, I'm like, okay, I can see it. I can, I can see why he was a thing for a while. But um, yeah, surprised by that movie. And like I said, sure, it won Best Picture over some more culturally appreciated movies. But whenever people come up with lists, winners stuff, look at what's there and be like, oh well, what's there is good. So it's always up yeah. to someone else to pick between them. But uh, yeah, but. Yeah, ordinary people. Uh, that's it for this week. This has been a l- wonderful conversation <laughs> on cabaret. I was that I was hoping to have was even better than we had. We had old ideas, new ideas, things pop up in the middle. Uh, great discussion that I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to. Um, before we do, Greg, let people know uh, where they can keep up with you, and if you have anything coming up. Uh, don't know what I have coming up. Just trying to figure out my life. Um, <laughs> And you can, uh, I know, now's the time. And uh, you can find me on social media in all areas at um, at the McGoonies. So the, and then McGoon, I-E-S. Um, so yeah. Uh, all right. And I most mostly use Instagram, but now I use Twitter to share my Wordle scores because that's about all I can handle on Twitter right now. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, again, thank you for discussing one of my favorite movies, one of your favorite movies grateful to have recorded this history in the form of us talking about it for a podcast that years down the road so i want to know about cabaret oh these two dudes talking about it here we go so yeah that's what one has for. a nervous breakdown <laughs> it's like oh, i'm like no. crying through i'm like oh Sally and brian oh, added value added value element uh <laughs> so uh i'm on twitter instagram at brand 4 khd and work at why there's more for the brand peter show this week including the premiere of old space show planet of the apes with russell mcgee from big finish productions but until then stay film positive thank you for listening the brandon peter show is a creative zombie studios production Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. <laughs>